0: Hello everyone and thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films, whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, like I state in every episode, it means the world, thank you so much for clicking, for spinning, for sharing, whatever it is, thank you as always. The Lost World Jurassic Park hit cinemas in 1997, which, as sequels go, this is a pretty great one. Once again adapted from the novel of the same name, penned by Michael Crichton, who after the release of the first novel in 1990, and with the huge commercial success of both the book and the film, Crichton was pressured by fans for a sequel, naturally, as you do. Though he did have hesitations, Crichton cooked up a brilliant follow-up that naturally ended up on the big screen, giving us yet another slice of dinosaur mayhem. The novel and film are, of course, firm favourites of mine, and I've, I've gone on record Before about how I do love this film up until the third act, which we will, of course, discuss on this pod a little bit more in detail, but this is a really solid sequel. I think, as well, my issues with the film have been heavily quashed now since the release of the Jurassic World trilogy, as that trilogy certainly had way more bumpy aspects. Than the lost world and it is worth noting that the book and the film while a good portion is adapted from the source material they are quite different on a number of things but i love them both equally spielberg once again captured that magical feel that comes with all his work within the lost world and also brings in new ways to invoke terror with the dinosaurs but most importantly it has that sense of adventure that you do crave When you enter to see a Jurassic film. Now growing up this was another I absolutely adored. Watching on VHS and still to this day it holds a very special place in my heart. Is it as good as the first? Definitely not. Does it keep you at the edge of your seat due to its suspense and jaw-dropping dino action following on from the first? Absolutely. Regardless of your stance there is no denying that the film ticks an awful lot of boxes. Making it again a pretty grand blockbuster, courtesy of the main man, Steven Spielberg. And that's what we're going to be discussing on today's episode, which is, of course, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as to rss.com. Jump onto the socials, Facebook and Instagram, that is. Search Job Loves About Films on there. Give us a like and a follow. If you could, too, wherever it is that you're listening to this episode from, hit the notification button. And finally, leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is. Please hit the star icon, leave us a review. That'll be tip-top. Back to Isla Sauna, though, where something has survived. A research team is sent to the Jurassic Park site B Island to study the dinosaurs there, while an in-gen team approaches with another agenda. The film, like its predecessor, pushed the boundaries with the CGI included, thanks to the fantastic team within ILM. There's arguments to state that there was too much CGI used as opposed to a nice blend of animatronics, courtesy of Stan Winston and the team, and special effects that the first film had. However... I'm not at all overly negative towards that fact. Sure, yeah, the CGI does look touch-and-go in the smallest of smallest fractions of the film, but it still holds up really, really well, probably better in some aspects than the recent releases. And like in most cases, with sequels, comes a tad more on the budget for the film. And let's be honest, considering how well the first Jurassic did, the budget was, of course, going to be lifted, was going to be made even higher, but... It wasn't by an excessive amount as some might think. While the first Jurassic had a $63 million budget, The Lost World had a $73 million budget and pretty much gained that entire budget back in its opening weekend, where the film took $72.1 million. But in total, the film grossed $618.6 million worldwide, becoming the second high-engrossing film of 1997 behind titanic now the lost world held the record for the biggest opening weekend in history from may 1997 until november 2001 when it was surpassed by a little old chap named Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So as films and sequels go, the lost world certainly is up there if you're looking at size and box office dominance. Now you're going to hear a lot of gushing from me towards Spielberg and his craft, that's just a given, but initially when development was starting, Universal Studios weren't 100% sure whether that Spielberg would in fact return to direct, and so they started to look at other directors who else could take that chair. And Joe Johnston, who would go on to direct Jurassic Park 3, nearly directed the sequel but with spielberg's schedule being free he felt he had to direct the film stating i react spontaneously to what falls into my arms to what is right at the time i've never made a conscious choice except maybe for the indiana jones sequels and the lost world they're the only times i've said okay I need to make these pictures for the public because they're craving it. Also, with The Lost World, I hadn't directed for three years, so I wanted to do something I felt secure making. And boy, did he do a tremendous job with it. While shooting the first Jurassic film, director Steven Spielberg believed that if a sequel were to be made, it would involve the retrieval of the canister that contained dinosaur DNA lost during the events of the first film. Of course, this never happened within the novel story, and so the canister was shelved, to be potentially used at a later day. It was used obviously in Dominion got a bit of a cameo from it and I think uh the Jurassic World's uh, camp cretaceous or whatever it's called I think as well there's some backdrop in there but it just feels again a little bit of a wasted potential plot line there that they could have picked upon even with Jurassic Part 3 or whatever something could have been done with that but alas wasn't to be. After the film adaptation of The Lost World was announced, screenwriter David Cope received letters of advice from children who were interested in the film, and according to Cope, one letter read, as long as you have the T-Rex and the Velociraptor, everything else is fine. Was that from me? (laughs) But whatever you do, don't have a long boring part at the beginning that has nothing to do with the island. Coat retained the letter as a sort of reminder and also took a suggestion from the letter to add Stegosaurus into the script. But, you know, since we are talking about the dinos, like the team behind creating the animals, they upped the game as much as they could with the sequel. While the first film showed that dinosaurs could be adequately recreated through special effects, the sequel raised that question of what could be done with the dinosaurs. Now, Stan Winston said that, I wanted to show the world what they didn't see in Jurassic Park, more dinosaurs and more dinosaur action, more bigger, better was our motto, and us fans and audiences certainly got this, as there is never really a moment where there isn't suspense once a dinosaur is on screen. And in addition, the film is helped by another huge standout, John williams's score. Steven Spielberg and John Williams felt that the score of this movie had to be slightly different to that heard in Jurassic Park, which again, I mean, as follow-ups go as well, like score-wise, yeah, you've got your motifs and stuff that work really well, but the Lost World score in its own right is magnificent, you know. It really, really is fantastic because it's a remote island chain, so they added drums and bongos, which elevates that film massively and, again, feeds into that sense of adventure whilst you're watching it. Tremendous stuff, again, from John Williams. I mean, he's another GOAT, isn't he? Let's be honest. The GOAT of composers, him and Hans Zimmer. I wouldn't want to be, like, stuck in a room between them while they're mixing and composing. It'd be just... I mean, I would, but at the same time, I'd be like, good Lord, there's too much genius going on in here. They're <laughs> great, great stuff nonetheless. And I love too as well how the island, thanks to like the stuff like the score, it felt like its own character. Comparing to the first, we get to see so much more scope of an island that is inhabited with dinosaurs. It just feels grander as the characters, you know, make their way through. Like danger is at every corner and it makes any moment of just someone simply walking on their own that little bit more terrifying. But like the real standout, if we're gonna look at the film, the real standout is of course jeff goblum i love that the film pushes jeff Goblin's ian malcolm to that lead role because he was certainly a pivotal part in the first jurassic however he was more of a supporting role just behind sam neill and laura dern whereas in the lost world he is well and truly center stage for this and it works brilliantly like we all love ian malcolm his wit his specializing in chaos theory his chest the list goes on and I previously stated just how much Goblum impacted the film and pop culture world with this character and I do think that it was just an excellent move from Michael Crichton like changing this up and pushing his character as the protagonist for the sequel now whether Goldblum's performance from the first film had any involvement in that decision I'm not quite sure but it certainly worked both for the book and for the film and by having Malcolm as his lead it allowed kind of a reset in terms of characters something that the film again benefits from Rather than have the whole band back together from the first, which they could have easily done, the story is centred around a whole new cast with different reasons for being on this island. Because in addition to Goldblum, the cast included Julianne Moore as Dr. Sarah Hardin, Vince Vaughn as Nick Van Owen, Richard Schiff as Eddie Carr, Vanessa Lee Chester as Kelly Curtis, Alice Howard as Peter Ludlow and the late Pete Postlethwaite as Roland Tembo, and of course Richard Attenborough as John Hammond, respectively. If there's one thing that the film certainly does well is bring fresh and new dynamics between the characters that have landed on this island allowing the audience to grasp from the get-go which of these characters are the ones to root for and the ones that you can't wait to be chomped. And there are certainly a lot that you can't wait to see come face-to-face with the island residents. Of course, the film does make changes to the book's story. I kind of see these two as two separate entities, as as there's some significant changes that I do like, and some that I wish were included from the novel. I said this again more recently about Spielberg's take on Ready Player One. Fantastic film and fantastic book, both are same-same, but different. And I love that. I love that a lot. Now, for the adaptation from book to screen, David Cope attempted to combine the ideas that he and Spielberg devised, along with those already in Crichton's novel. Now, Spielberg and Cope chose to put together a new story while including the two ideas from the novel that Spielberg really really liked and that was a second island which was populated with dinosaurs and a scene where half a two part trailer dangles from a cliff after being attacked by T-Rexes. I can't wait to talk about that bit I cannot wait because good lord good lord. But Spielberg said that the middle portion of Crichton's novel was just lacking in story narrative but that Crichton's setup was really excellent and it put Spielberg and his crew on the right road. In addition to these changes, we also have Ian Malcolm's daughter Kelly, who was brought in as a new character that too wasn't involved in the novel. The film and story really pushed and raised the stakes for Malcolm throughout. If it's not him trying to track down his partner Sarah, played excellently well by Julianne Moore, he also has to look out for his stowaway daughter and keep her safe too. On this island, and we also have the InGen crew as well to tussle with. But Malcolm's main priority is keeping the people he cares about safe, and I like this aspect an awful lot. Even if you, even if I wasn't too fussed about the daughter's character, Kelly, like I didn't want too fuss about her character in the film, it definitely all aided to make Malcolm three dimensional and not just some sarky, wisecracking chaos theory nut. No? Like the Lost World really padded out the character and gave him more to work and play with, and the film delivered on that front excellently well. And I honestly don't mind the changes that the film made however right okay i'm gonna get this out of the way now because i don't really like sitting too long on negatives because i love i mean i'm always looking for positives but the big negative for me is that third act that is the real real negative point for me it just went off the rails in my eyes like everything prior to the t-rex making it back to the mainland and into san diego is excellent it's really great and everything that i wanted from a jurassic park sequel but I just feel that this end bit was just too tagged on and doesn't really fit the rest of the film. And I also blame this third act as well for the decision to split Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom into two films almost. Have half of it on the island and half of it, you it know, on the mainland. It might be controversial, but I think that Fallen Kingdom's mainland side of the story is better than that that is included in The Lost Worlds. But I will say to play devil's advocate, they certainly had to make a bit of a change to The Lost Worlds third act, given that Dodgson and Biosyn were removed from the film adaptation completely. Had they been involved, because they are really involved in the book, I don't think the film maybe would have taken the route that it did. So I'm kind of, again, trying to reason with this creative choice, even if I am like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the actual idea of having the T-Rex rampaging around the mainland in this third act, which I really don't like, was a very last-minute decision. Like We're talking a few weeks before shooting was to begin, because Spielberg was interested in seeing dinosaurs attacking the mainland, and he believed that audiences would enjoy a san diego rampage it sounds good on paper don't get me wrong and initially spielberg wanted such a scene to be saved for a third film but then decided to add it to the second when he realized he probably wouldn't be directing another film in this series and though i get what spielberg was going for with the t-rex sequence being that he wanted his own king kong it just feels a little jarring even now when i'm watching it it just feels a little jarring and not the same film that we've been watching for the last couple of hours of course though as a kid I bloody loved it. I loved the whole film, loved everything. This bit, I was like, this is amazing, this is awesome, but I really, really loved it. Now, with older and wiser eyes, I do see just how off it feels in that final act. But hey, it's a good move, it just didn't fully work. But it's also interesting to read that Spielberg regretted excluding a particular scene from the script that would have seen characters on motorcycles attempting to flee raptors. This is, again, a real suspenseful and crazy moment that happens in the novel, and despite this not being in the film, they did include an alternate version of the scene Jurassic World where we see Owen riding with raptors as opposed to fleeing from them. Though I guess there's a little bit of both in that sequence when you you think about it, how that comes to a close. But enough talking about novel and book changes and different ideas, da da da. Let's talk more about the cast because Julianne Moore is in this film and she is brilliant. She's also involved in one of my favourite moments of the Jurassic saga and... Probably cinema, to be fair. We'll get to that, but yes, of course, it's the trailers dangling off the cliff. more plays Sarah Hardin, a behavioural paleontologist who is in her absolute elements being surrounded by these incredible creatures. And to begin with doesn't really grasp the danger that she is in. Sarah is sent to the island by Hammond to research and study the dinosaurs that are flourishing in their habitat, and it's a nice approach having Hammond now wanting to leave the dinos alone and just let nature do its thing, as opposed to all these theme park attraction ideas, and I think that Moore and Goldblum do have a very believable relationship. It's not a great love story or anything like that, but they have enough between them to really sell these characters and their relationship. They butt heads, they disagree, and they do love and care for one another and understand. each other's decisions even if they don't agree. It's also the perfect reason to get someone like Malcolm back on the island of dinosaurs. As we see from the start of the film Malcolm has no desire to return even going as far to tell Hammond once this idea is put upon him that he now needs to go and warn these people that he's sending off to not go to this island. Like if Sarah wasn't part of that team heading to sauna Malcolm wouldn't go, it's as simple as that, and it's a great narrative to include as it perfectly gives Malcolm that motive to go rescue his partner. And though Malcolm thinks that he needs to go save Sarah, she doesn't exactly need his help. Sarah is an intelligent and adventurous character with a free spirit and strong sense of independence. She stands up for what she believes in and doesn't hold back, expressing her point to anyone opposing her beliefs. There's a lot of back and forth in the film, not just with Malcolm, though they are highly entertaining, but with the InGen team, once the groups are pitted together, allowing Sarah to really vocalise and put forward her thoughts and opinions. And I mentioned a moment ago about how at times her character probably doesn't understand the danger that they are in, and this comes from a place of study and curiosity, but also that of wonder. We see her in the film getting close to the pack of Stegosaurus at the start, and whilst this is a fantastic and unbelievable moment for her, it quickly escalates as the adults look to protect their baby, But even after this encounter, there's still only amazement and laughter from Sarah. She's always willing to learn and appreciate the animals rather than fear them. Though this, of course, has its limits when two T-Rexes... (laughs) A roar, <laughs> I do wish, though, that we got to learn and see more of Sarah's character in the films that followed. But as a one-time run, I thought Julianne Moore was excellent as the character alongside Jeff Goldblum's Ian Malcolm. It's actually worth noting as well, sorry, and worth mentioning that in the first novel, Ian Malcolm seemed all but deceased, mainly through suggestion within the novel. But Crichton brought him back as he needed the voice of reason within the story, the ironic commentator, so to speak. And again, the film just pushes on with that too, always stating how things can go bad, you know and it worked. He knows firsthand just how dangerous these islands are, and would never step foot on the island again if it wasn't absolutely necessary. All the way through, even when everyone is amazed and wide-eyed at these amazing creatures, he's still there being the ironic commentator. Most notably, and famously for me, is when the first encounter the Stegosaurus heard, and he whips out the, oh yeah, that's how it starts, ooh, ah, and then later, they, there's running and um, screaming. That is just... Incredible delivery, incredible character moment all round, and it's just one of my standout moments, because there is a ton of moments that I love from this film. But I just want to quickly mention that I love how the second film starts by using a sequence that is from the original Jurassic novel, the young girl running into the compass on that second island with the family from that yacht this and that that's all in the first book and, and I was, it's one of those where I can see why they didn't use it in the first one but I think it's great that it was then kind of incorporated as the sequel's opener. Like in, in the Jurassic novel it is slightly different but it's still the same idea and it's always something that when I start watching The Lost World I'm like that Leo meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like pointing at the screen. Quick mention as well too following on from this moment the incredible transition, like it's such a sick transition of the mother screen when she runs Around that corner, screams as, as what she's seeing, to then cut to see like Ian Malcolm yawning, waiting for a tube or train. Like, it works so, so well. What also is a strong part of the film is that we have a definitive good guys versus bad guys in the story. Like, the first film doesn't really have that. We have like, yeah, we have your meddlers and such, and like Hammond can be perceived as a villain for his decision to create these dinosaurs, but it's never really, it's not like he's a villain himself, you know. I mean, he is villainous for doing what he did, I guess, but it's not like he's done it to be evil you know what i mean like we know the heroes in the sequel being malcolm and code and we know that the InGen team though they think they're doing good or whatever by capturing these animals and trying to yet again make a park to profit on they're completely in the wrong and the bad guys because the right thing to do would be to leave the animals as they were something that again john hammond wants too it's one thing to create these animals but it's another to see them thriving living perfectly on their own island taking them away again harks to that theme of animal captivity and cruelty so instantly we see the Engine team in that bad light because they are messing with nature and again all comes back around to the idea of extinct animals have no rights which is something that continues from the eyes of the big greedy corporate people in the jurassic saga like pandora's box was opened you can't put it all back in now as i stated obviously comparing this to the original like hammond yes he created the dinosaurs but he's not a villain so to speak like he's, he's doing something for all just he didn't stop to think whether this was a good idea we now know that this of course was a terrible idea given the casualties and yet his nephew and team rather than think nope let's leave all of that they've too seen the green dollar signs and think let's make as much money as we can from these creatures this again brings in that constant theme again through jurassic park with man interfering with nature Alice. Alice Howard plays Peter Ludlow, Hammond's greedy nephew, newly appointed CEO of InGen, who is certainly a piece of work. Coward-like as well, and really is a decent enough substitute for Dodgson, who is the adversary in the book. Unlike Dodgson, who I think is corrupted to the core i think ludlow in the film is just way over his head Dodson is a schemer and tactical and pretty much be a snake 90 percent of the time whereas ludlow just wants to get these dinosaurs from a to b and that's that obviously making money in the process he doesn't see how this could possibly go wrong after everything prior so there's naivety in there too and then we see very early on that okay yeah fair he's in charge but he's not in charge at all. There's a fantastic back and forth between he and Postlethwaite's Roland Tembo and Arrival on the Island, which just highlights this perfectly. Terms and conditions are laid out pretty much all from Postlethwaite, and Ludlow just accepts gleefully. It's like, well, as long as I get what I want, it doesn't matter, and if my hands aren't dirty in the process even better. Ludlow does not care about how many lives are lost or how they get the job done, so long as they do so. And we see the contrast of these two views when Postlethwait's Roland, whom all he wanted was to catch the T-Rex, you know, being a proud hunter and all that, but he isn't anywhere near as satisfied as what Ludlow is, you know, since they've caught the beast, but to the cost that Postlethwaite's Roland has lost his friend in the process. You know, Ludlow is gleefully following Roland around, saying, you've got your prize, this and that, you've done it, but Roland just states that his friend didn't make it, and that's that. And it is a shame that, for me anyways, this is the last scene involving Postlethwaite within the film, because I thought it was really tremendous, and it would have been cool to maybe see him assist Malcolm in getting the T-Rex back to the pen on the ship, obviously in San Diego, and sending the Rex back to sauna. It could have been a pretty cool full-circle moment for his character, but alas... It wasn't to be. Now, I I feel like I need to talk about... Because I haven't, as of yet, and I need to talk about good moments, my favourite moments, but I really need to... I'm I'm chomping at the bit to talk about the trailers hanging off the cliff, that whole sequence, because it's absolutely fantastic. Like, Spielberg already has one fantastic entrance for the T-Rex under his belt with the iconic breakout scene from the first film, but then to go bigger with the sequel and have two T-Rexes enter the mix, killing off one of the protagonists as well and thrusting these trailers over the cliff... It's just unbelievably brilliant. Like this whole build-up as well, what he achieved is excellent. You know, having Malcolm, Eddie, and his daughter Kelly in the high-high looking down into the darkness and the rain, we're seeing the trees below just shake and move as the T-Rexes walk directly under them. Like, it is incredibly suspenseful and sets you up for, for what is to come. Again, great use of the, the weather and and darkness as well because, as we know, that helps a lot with the CGI, doing obviously limited lighting, this, that, and the other. But Spielberg's crafts with tension... It's second to none, like he does it so well with these big moments. Like he's a wizard behind the camera, as we all know. But The Lost World has probably more terrifying moments than than the first film, in a way. Like long takes are sprinkled throughout the film, but once the T-Rex enter, Spielberg really ramps those up, ranging from the attack itself, or Eddie trying to save them before he meets his grisly end. Again, it all works to perfection. The score as well being removed on the T-Rex's arrival. That is excellent, like, too. We have the phone ringing and ringing within the trailer, and the tension building with Malcolm arriving to tell the two of them to get rid of the baby T-Rex before everything and everyone is cut to silence at the noise and sight of one of the cars being thrown outside the trailer we then get a brilliant another brilliant line sorry from jeff goldblum mommy's very angry and we are left with only the sound of the rain hitting outside as goldblum's malcolm edges closer and closer to the camera straight forward ahead before the huge head of the t-rex lowers itself in the background peering inside it is just remarkable and again just showing why spielberg is the king. I also love the interior trailer shot of where the T-Rex begin to shove and push the trailer over the cliff, you know, fixing the camera centre, focusing on Malcolm, Sarah and Vince Vaughn's Nick Van Owen, you know, whilst the trailer begins to spin with debris and equipment flying everywhere. It's just terrifying, but fantastic to watch. Like, you're just wondering... What's going to come next? Like, what are the T-Rexes going to do? And more importantly, will all these characters make it out alive? But the ride doesn't stop there because hang on to something. Our characters are sent tumbling over the edge of the cliff and poor Julianne Moore falls on the back window. Now, the sound effects here are just impeccable. The cracks of the glass getting bigger and bigger as she tries to reach for safety. It's just jaw dropping like added to the fact as well that the satellite phone is slipping further and further away from Vince Vaughn's hand along with John Williams's score reaching a lovely high-pitched drone you just have your hands on your face praying that you don't have to pull your jaw off (laughs) due to suspense Spielberg honestly 10 out of 10 for all of these sequences like it is goosebump inducing brilliant filmmaking now i couldn't do a review or revisit of this film and not talk about the long grass again firm favorite sequence in the jp franchise like i do love some good raptor action and the long grass sequence is just superb. Love the use of bongos here, but again, as I've harped on about Spielberg being the king, the wide shot of seeing the InGen troops running through the grass whilst the Raptors start to filter towards them—you know, breaking through the grass—is masterclass. And it certainly is a less is more approach for this particular moment, which I, of course, much prefer. It works by not seeing much of them as they take out a few troops before we see one in all its glory leap out of the grass onto a troop. For snacks. And this less is more approach is always something that he's done well with Spielberg, as too, with character deaths at the hands of dinosaurs or a shark in jaws, this and that. But like Jurassic films are, of course, for the whole family. And so with most of Spielberg's work, it doesn't directly show the horror unfold and leaves it to the audience, with some guidance, of course. You know, characters snuff it off screen, but to very good effect. In addition to the likes of the troops and the raptors, you know, we have the douche character with the electric stick or whatever thing that he's got that's been he gets chased down by a pack of compies. Great moment seeing the character dive behind like a fallen tree or whatever it is, only for the compies to follow him. And then we hear the screams, John Williams' score, and then you know, blood starts to trickle down into that water stream. So so intense. And we also have that chap with the cowboy hat on that in the waterfall when the snake goes down him and he ends up getting chomped by the T Rex through the waterfall again. Great use with the blood, great effect there. We don't need to see him be like eaten. We hear the screams, then the bite or the chomp, and then the blood falls through the waterfall. These are just ones that stand out for me off the top of my head in terms of off-screen deaths, but there's so much that is described by characters to to what they've seen off-screen that the audience doesn't need to see it themselves. It's just brilliant storytelling and brilliant script writing. I've spoken a lot about how good the film looks, whether that be on location, animatronics, or the CGI. Granted, as I've said, CGI does have its weak spells, but that final shot, right, of seeing all the dinosaurs in their, well, now new natural habitat, it's just breathtaking. The pterodactyl landing on that branch at the end, with the sun, like, glaring through its wings, or just over the top of its wings. It looks like it belongs on BBC's Planet Earth, or something like that. You throw David Attenborough's narration on top, I wouldn't put it past it being the real bloody deal. Like, it is that good. As I said earlier, it it's really holds up well, like, better than some of the stuff that we're seeing in 2024. Good heavens, it is such a fantastic shot, also a top way to finish the film on all accounts. Now, The Lost World is is not better than the first. I'm not saying it is, but it is a much loved and very worthy sequel. That I don't fully understand all the negativity towards it. Aside from the third act comments, I mean, I'll give you that one because like, I've given you my fair share of thoughts on that third act. It's a bit clunky, but whatever. It just carries on and builds on from the excellent groundwork that was laid from the first film. You know, Spielberg's fingerprints are all over this film, and that sense of adventure and terror, they are mixed really perfectly well, making this be, yeah, the best Jurassic Park sequel, even if I do highly rate Jurassic World, the first Jurassic World anyways. Jurassic Park The Lost World is such a great adventure film, and one that I am glad to have finally sat down and waffled to you a lot about, on this podcast. Now, if the first was a 10 out of 10, then this easily gets a 9 out of 10. Like, it really, really is a solid sequel. Like, i say, it's not as good as the first one, but boy, does it give it a good run. Until the last 15, 20 minutes or so, or whatever, this is up there, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a film that I loved from a very young age, and it's always, always a joy just to sit down and give it a good old rewatch. But I would love to know your thoughts. What, you would rank it out of 10? Obviously, I'm working my way, slowly, through the Jurassic Saga. I mean, I've, I've, to be fair, I've only got one more to do, which definitely should be done very soon. That'll be talking about Jurassic Part 3, which should be a lot of fun, because my God. Um, but I would love to know your thoughts, your ranking on the Jurassic Saga. If you've not caught any of my previous Jurassic Park podcasts, they're all available now. Go back and have a listen. I would very much appreciate that, too. If you could, hit the notification button, like I say, and more importantly, leave a review. Hoo <laughs> Good heavens, that would be awesome. But as always, I really appreciate listening, checking out this podcast. Thank you so much as always. Until the next episode, take care.